Hello and welcome to Rationally Writing. I'm Dee Starald. And I'm Alexander Wales. And this is episode 33. <laughs> <laughs> you want to start that again? Sorry, sorry. Yeah, we'll start, we'll start again. I almost said I'm Dee Starald. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> Alexander Wales. And this is episode 33, Review of Pokemon, The Origin of Species. So today, based on listener feedback, we're going to be doing a review of each other's stories. So yours, for me, is obviously going to be Pokemon, and I'm going to be reviewing The Dark Wizard of Dunkirk. 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 Okay. Every single time I say your title, by the way, I have to mentally readjust from Dark Lord of Dirkholm. Yeah. (laughs) I've gotten that a lot. I've never read that story, and it makes me feel like I should change the title possibly you know what read the book first see if you like it and if you like it maybe keep the title just so you have that positive association from other people who like it yeah well i picked the title based on whenever i pick a title i go and google that title Mm -hmm. with no quotes and see what comes up and i didn't get anything that i think i could i thought i couldn't overpower right right that's a good strategy i'm gonna keep that in mind when i especially when it comes to finding a good title for guardian Whenever that ends up happening. Alright, so... uh, I have no idea how to structure this episode. We can can do it in halves. We'll we'll talk about Pokemon first. Okay. So I have been reading this story since 2013, I think. was when it was first put out, Mm -hmm. right? Yep. Um, And I I did a a full reread, like, a couple weeks ago in preparation for this episode. So I, I have like two, two distinct experiences of the story, Mm -hmm. right? The like sort of not slow drip feed, but if you're reading a story, like uh, what's your average chapter length about 10,000 early on, it was around 6,000. And um, I would want to say by chapter, by chapter like 15 or so, uh, it was steadily like anywhere between eight to 10,000. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's now it's um, up to like 11,000, 12,000. Yeah. I think that if you, you, for serial works, there's the binge approach and then there's the as it comes out approach. Mm-hmm. And it, almost anyone who binges, assuming that they stick with the story, will be converted from one method of reading to the other, right? If, mm-hmm. if they get to the, the end of an ongoing work. But yeah, very different. Um, and there were some edits to various chapters and I'd come across things and i wouldn't remember them at all and i wouldn't know whether that's just because you know it's been so long i i I read it three years ago and then i um i would come across a chapter like you know forty thousand words on Mm -hmm. and be like hey i made some edits to this thing a while back (laughs) and i was like oh okay i'm not going crazy yeah so yeah uh there are a couple things i want to talk about first question i have is how far out is everything planned like from a I, obviously, you have some. Well, I guess not obviously, because it, it would be possible for you to not have a plan just to be writing chapter by chapter, uh, or even arc by arc. But um, how far out does your plan stretch? So uh, when I began the story, I had a beginning, I had two or three points in the middle, and I had an ending in mind. 
everything very loose obviously i knew um what i where i wanted the story to go and i knew more or less how i wanted it to end uh the ending it's kind of up in the air between like two like in in terms of like a final paragraph i've got like two or three in mind that you know might shift depending on how things feel when i get there not final paragraph so much as final scene i should say okay yeah so i've been i've been going off of that and as i go i i generally plan out arcs i get i get a better sense of the arcs as i go and the amount of specific scenes in the middle increases uh, as time goes on. So at this point, I've got it. I've got, I want to say like seven major scenes in mind that I'm working towards, one after the other, uh, and of course the ending still. Okay. There, there were points, especially, I thought I noticed this er- a lot more early on, is someone would say something, and I would think, oh, that's obvious foreshadowing mm-hmm. for for something to come. Uh, I, I should have marked them down. I should have like highlighted them or something. But it would, this is not an actual example from the text. But mm. someone would say like, "Oh, like I'd never burn down someone's house." It's like he's gonna burn down someone's <laughs> house. Uh, I, I can probably guess. Oh, sorry, well, you finish first. Yeah. I, I so I, I don't know. I don't know how many of those were actually foreshadowing. I eventually started to feel like maybe I was just seeing things. <laughs> Yeah, I get a lot of feedback like that every so often, uh, especially, you can probably guess one of them, um, when Red is considering using Spinner Axe attack on Blue, just to test out if it's a psychic type or a ghost type attack, and then, like, he kind of has this, like, mental, like, you know, admonition at himself, it's like, no, no, that's, you know, that's the path to the dark side, we can't, you can't be... No, no testing scientific hypotheses on your friends. Yeah. And um, a lot of people were like, oh, well, <laughs> we know where Red's going with his scientific journey, which is amusing, and I'm, I'm not giving answers obviously one way or the other um, right, right but i can definitely tell sometimes that people expect what's to come from from what right like to come earlier rather than later and sometimes they are planned on coming earlier rather than later uh another one is the the, the example was the zapdos obviously there's a lot of foreshadowing for zapdos's uh, attack and everyone was expecting it either in the forest or shortly afterward and i was kind of expecting it earlier than than where it's going to end up uh, but it just kind of, like, where it fell into place ended up being later. So a lot of the foreshadowing ended up being much earlier than it um, occurs. Which is possibly a good thing? I don't know how how unexpected it's supposed to be. Well, I guess we'll see from the reaction. Yeah. I think that's one of those things where you risk you risk escalating too quickly. Mm-hmm. Right? Because um, those are the three, is it? I, I also, by the way, should confess that I have not, I have almost no experience with Pokemon. I've mm-hmm. played, played Pokemon Go for like a week. <laughs> and obviously the pop culture osmosis for it, but it, it makes it uh, a different experience reading, right? Cause, right. I'm sure there are a lot of references that you don't quite get. Yeah, there are some that I don't quit, and there's some that I'm like, okay, this is explaining something about Pokemon mm-hmm. that I didn't know, or that I... It's it's patching some hole in the Pokemon lore, right? Right, which is fine. I kind of had the same thing with um, Time Braid, mm-hmm. which is a Naruto fanfic, and I never read Naruto before. And mm-hmm. I actually kind of like doing that with fan fiction because I think you get it makes things seem more fresh and interesting. I yeah. guess. Yeah, I can see that. I I would guess because you're not like oh <laughs> they're doing that thing again that happens all the time. Right. But you've said in the past that you you don't read. Or you, prior to starting this, hadn't read a lot of Pokemon fanfic. Yeah, the only fanfic I've read to quote-unquote completion, at, even even still, is Game of Champions. Which, I say quote-unquote because it still haven't, isn't done. It, it has, has had like a really long light, hiatus. Um, and then like he came back and put a chapter or two out, and then went on another super long hiatus. Yeah. I've tried getting into Sun Soul, Traveler, 
there's various comics and Nuzlocks that I've read. Uh, I've, I don't think any of them ended either, actually. I've read a few of the Nuzlocke comics. I really enjoyed those, but um, a lot of the most famous Pokemon fan fictions I just haven't been able to really get into. I like the line. Uh, that's another one from uh, the Rationalist community that I've, I've actually enjoyed a lot, but again, not completed. So, Yeah, yeah and, and for reading uh, fan fiction of stories, I actually made a conscious effort to avoid any Naruto fanfic because I knew I wanted to finish the, the manga at some point. And didn't want to, I wanted to avoid any spoilers. But if there was ever a fiction that I had no interest in reading that had a fanfic out from the Rationals community, I'd probably, I'd probably check it out just because I want to experience what that's like, reading a fanfiction of something I haven't read. Yeah. So one of the things that is slightly... I don't want to say jarring, necessarily, but I always forget that Origin of Species is uh, present tense. Mm-hmm. Like, every time... Every time a chapter comes out, I'll start reading and I'll be like, what is going on here? <laughs> uh, and partly that's because I write entirely in past tense. Mm-hmm. Um, so why why did you why do you choose present tense? I guess is my question. So this is I made a comment about this in the subreddit somewhat recently. Uh, this is one of those things that I kind of feel is like the biggest um, not regret exactly, but like I, I'm conscious of the fact that I'm probably turning off a lot of readers through the present tense. Like if I was if I'd been writing in past tense from the beginning, I don't know like how many more readers I would have, as opposed to not. Uh, and it's not a great reason not to have readers, right? Like usually if it's something else like the tone of the story or the themes of the story, like I wouldn't mind losing readers for that because you know it's up to taste and different people have different preferences. But it's it, it doesn't feel great to know that like there's some people who just aren't reading the story because of the tense I chose to write it in. I chose present tense because I tend to write in present tense naturally. It comes from just years of role-playing, I, I suspect. It's kind of the voice that I think of stories in. Like, I don't... It doesn't bother me when I read past tense, but it's an effort to write in past tense as opposed to present tense. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. I think most people are in, in North America, honestly. Uh, I think most English stories have become almost exclusively um, past tense. Yeah. I wonder why that is. I'll have to, like, go look that up when we're done here. Mm-hmm. So one of the other things that um, struck me on doing my like big long reread was how long it took to introduce the other viewpoint characters, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you have three, the three main characters, but um, Red is the only one who has a voice for like twelve chapters, something like, like that. Like 15, we, we talked about this. Yeah, yeah. Last episode. Take, I went back and checked. It's like something like fifteen chapters for. Um, it's not until the Viridian Forest Fire kicks off. Yeah. Why why'd you wait so long? <laughs> so part of it was the fact that I wanted it to be grounded in, in Red's perspective early on just to establish that his view was the was the was the main one the story would be told through. I guess I kinda of felt like if I did the others right away, it would be too jarring too quickly, and then I just kind of kept going with Red because I I kind of just felt like the the other two didn't have anything special to offer yet. The Viridian Forest Fire was the first time I had to uh split up the perspectives because uh, Blue runs off from the other two and leaves them uh, on their own. Not runs off as in runs away, but like, yeah. Uh, he, he goes off to do something and, and the other two are left alone, so I, I knew that would be the point where Blue got his own perspective. And I wanted to put Leaf's perspective there too because it was a very significant part of the story, very like life-threatening and immediate, and it seemed like a good time to get her perspective on, on things. Um, I think I like the idea of of waiting so long because then it kind of like it i don't know if this is the experience so you should you should let me know but i like the the idea of the experience of the story being like okay this is red story and then over time 
like you you grow comfortable with red and then over time as you as like the story goes on you realize like oh this is actually a story of of others too um these are the two people that we've gotten to know a little bit through red and now we get to know them too yeah i liked it i think mostly because you get this big character moment for blue Mm -hmm. there probably i think for the first like 20 or chapters or so his, his to, to me was his defining character moment where he has this um shift tree yep okay i'm also really bad <laughs> at the pokemon names i just <laughs> do you have to google do you have to google all of them i imagine you do because i don't like i don't know how much osmosis is common these days for um the newer pokemon especially like the original 150 i'm I think most people can more or less um remember but well it's like i mean there's you know you see a lot of them around They're, they come in like Pokemon come in like Happy Meals now mm-hmm. and stuff. And then all of the original 150 were available as like trophies mm-hmm. in Super Smash Brothers. <laughs> or like, you know, they show up in, in other Nintendo properties right, from time right. to time. So the famous ones I know a lot. Shiftry was foreign to me. I didn't, I didn't look it up. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm just like, okay, well, you know, whatever. I can imagine what it looks like and I'll, <laughs> I'll get context clues and that'll be part of the fun for me. Um, which is how I tend to read. Mm-hmm fanfic of stuff that i where i have no or little familiarity with the source material but yeah so um blue has this big character moment where he he cuts off the limbs because he doesn't have a a giant ball right great ball yeah great great ball (laughs) uh and that was like it was this very like not only are you shifting away from red's perspective but you're sort of getting you're getting this big character moment for blue that helps define him a lot more than he's been defined mm-hmm. ever. And I think that if it had just been, you know, we need to shift to blue and leaf cause they're doing other stuff. But then you, if you don't have like character stuff for right. them to, to like very clearly define them, um, I don't think I'd have liked it as much. I would just like, if you weren't going to use that moment to do something big with the characters, mm-hmm. I would kind of wonder why it hadn't been done earlier. So I, it, it worked for me. Good, yeah. Yeah, it it was, like I said, it was one of those things where I was like, you know, I could shift to them while they're traveling up to Viridian City or, or uh, meeting these other people, but it just didn't feel like anything really unique would be said. So, yeah. And I tried to do a, a character-defining moment for Leaf 2 there with the, um, first with discovering the, the Hoot Hoot that was killed in its ball by the electricity that was arcing around and then yeah. kind of risking herself to save the, the Pichu. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it worked as well as a, defi- a character-defining moment, but, uh, it did. It didn't for me, but mm-hmm. that might just be my own personal preference. Mm-hmm. I think Leaf Leafs is my favorite character, but I tend to find Blue's storyline more compelling. Okay, yeah, I think you're the first. Per- I think you're the first person. Probably not actually. I think maybe one or two other people, but it's very rare to hear someone say Leaf is their favorite character. So yeah, that's interesting to me. I think it's just the the perspective of someone who's more empathic towards the Pokemon yeah, yeah. or like. Because you see that, you know, I might be exposing my Pokemon ignorance a little bit, but you you, you see these uh, like trainers who are like, oh, I care so much about the Pokemon, and then they like send them out to fight, and then they they like get all weepy because their Pokemon got hurt or whatever. Right. That's from like ten episodes of watching the Pokemon show. But like Ash was doing that stuff constantly. Yeah. But to actually have someone who demonstrably cares and who it, their actions are affected by that desire to make sure the Pokemon are okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Or who, whose, whose outlook is changed and then their actions change in accordance with that. And so just sort of 
paying lip service to it. Right. And then treating Pokemon like an attack dog or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But yeah, I, I like Leaf Chapters the best. I find Blues to be most compelling because they, I'm not sure how firmly I can say this. I think they're the most proactive, mm-hmm. right? Like Blue is always doing something and charging forward. Whereas when Leaf is like doing research for an article or talking to people, it's more probing and a little more passive. And then like Red is going forward, but he's more cautious and thoughtful. Yeah. For, for the most part. Blue Blue tends to be in positions to enact his goals um, without waiting a lot more than the other two. Yeah. One of the things I was going to ask you about was all three characters have sort of clear goals mm-hmm. and clear endpoints, um, which is, well, I, I guess you, I don't know. And you can't say whether that's like going to be their end game. Right. Mm-hmm. But it seems like you kind of run the risk there of, you run the risk there of telegraphing too much. Right. Mm-hmm. I thought uh, Blue's first loss to Brock was good because I, I didn't expect it mm-hmm. at all. Uh, we should put spoilers on this episode, <laughs> by the way. It should, yeah, it should. I, I should hope it'd be obvious if we're discussing the two books. There's going to be some spoilers, right. but I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll mention it. Um, but his first loss to Brock was good because I didn't expect it. I just sort of like I expect that every arc they'll go to a different city mm-hmm. and Blue will get his badge there. Right. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to, to hear. I should just say it's interesting to hear you say that, especially since you haven't played the games or uh, really watched the show. Like I expect most people who who have to expect that, uh, but I'm glad to hear that uh, you didn't expect it either. Yeah. I mean, well, there there are eight badges, and mm-hmm. then the elite four, and then Gary, the champion. Yeah. Generally speaking, it's the, the structure generally is elite four and then champion. It's a little bit weird in the first first game because. There's no explicit champion before Gary. It's just kind of like, hey, you beat the Elite Four, you would be champion, but someone beat you to it, and then it turns out to be your rival, so you got to fight Blue. But in uh, every other following game, there's an explicit champion after the Elite Four. So okay, yeah, but that's sort of like I wonder, I wonder about that from a narrative structure standpoint, because mm-hmm. you for for Blue especially, because you've sort of set up his clear path, and what does he do, you know? How, how would the story even progress if he gets to, like, Gym 4 and then he can't get the badge there because he's not mm-hmm. good enough, right? Like, he has to eventually be good enough. That has to... That's, like... That's a story arc. Yeah, and that's my... That's one of those things when, when I'm... When I think about narrative and narrative structure, I think about when people are sort of forced into success mm-hmm. by the conceit of the story. But I, I actually don't know that that's necessarily true, right? I mean, if I think that if I... If I were to expect a deviation from go through the gyms and get all the badges that you need and then beat the Elite Four and whatever, I think that if I were expecting a deviation from that, I would expect it at the end, similar to how um, in the Harry Potter series they do like six books that are very, very similar and then the seventh book deviates from that pattern. Uh, We'll talk about that more later as chapters come out, I guess, because you can't talk about it now. Um, But it's, it's something that I thought a lot about that I thought about a lot when I was when I was reading. Yeah. There is a point with Red's Spinarak research. He sort of gets these lukewarm results from it. Mm-hmm. Um and it's like this disappointment. I thought that was I didn't expect that. I didn't expect that because it goes against 
the conventional wisdom of narrative, right? Yeah, it's one of those things where, again, like it was, there's this idea of, if there's a theme to the story that I hope is slowly taking shape, right? It's the, it's kind of the theme of Pokemon in general, like be the best there ever was. And trying that in three different areas or mediums or goals, uh, three different paths to victory for, for whatever their, their, you know, their interests and, and talents particularly happen to be in. Like I didn't want it to be, demonstrated as in any way easy for them right it, it felt like if it was then they would kind of like as the central premise of the story for 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 the, for the vast majority of it like at some point obviously maybe not obviously but at some point in, at some point in the story as it is even uh extra things have have come in that clearly have nothing to do with their goals but as far as those three goals go if if it's too easy for any of them i feel like like you said it just becomes Wrote like it's like all right at the new uh, city, uh, catch some new Pokemon, train them up, beat the gym badge, go on. Same with the research. Like all right, he's got a new hypothesis. He's gonna catch the Pokemon for it, test it out. Okay, gets the result, move on to the next one. And if I don't introduce failures there, it's kind of a uh, it cheats the the premise of like why being good takes dedication, hard work, some luck, you know. Yeah, I thought I thought for that specific the Spinarak paper. I thought that was, it was unexpected and it was sort of a, a denial of the payoff, right? Cause you have this, this setup that's sort of like going, going into it. I thought like, oh, he's going to like get accolades and stuff. And instead people were like, okay, it's like a competent paper and mm-hmm. maybe there's something there eventually, but it's kind of a, it's a disappointment to him and it's a little bit of disappointment to the reader, but I thought it was a good way of setting up, of setting up the difficulty, right? Mm-hmm. So, so you have the setup and, and then you deny the payoff there so that you can have more effective payoffs in the future. Cause like it sort of pulls the rug out a little bit. Right. The same to some extent with Leaf's reporting on the, uh, renegade execution. Mm-hmm. There's not the, 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 I thought there was a, a much more clear payoff to her story, but it's sort of a denial of audience expectations or at least my expectation Mm -hmm. as a member of the audience in that it was sort of about escalation and driving to that point and then things sort of get dropped there or put on the back burner i guess yeah it was it had the potential to be this big like blow the story wide open national attention uh center of of uh controversy or or um center of, of national attention kind of thing yeah it felt like if if it's it's kind of a it's kind of a mix between like the the story that she has being incomplete you know it's it both serves the narrative better I felt like and uh, makes sense yeah kind of to for her to be like you know I don't actually know if if I want to represent Leaf as an ethical journalist uh, right like which I do I don't I don't want her to to jump the gun on a story that could potentially cause harm uh, which gave me the the cover I needed narratively also to not not have everything explode um, in terms of like what the outcome of, of publishing a story like that might be. Yeah, I thought that was the most tense chapter. Was she talking to Giovanni? Yeah, when she's talking to Giovanni. Mm-hmm. Partly that's because uh, Leaf is my preferred character, mm-hmm. and partly that's because I didn't I didn't have any idea what the outcome was going to be. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I like I like that that particular chapter a lot. But it, it did, it sort of followed this theme of, of setbacks. Like each, each character has had like one, 
one bigger setback mm-hmm. in their like personal path um, that sort of completed that cycle. I might be, I guess if I had like written down the structure of Origin of Species, I m- might see more. But mm-hmm. um, there, I do have, because I'm a structuralist, um, I have this expectation that if I see three stories running in parallel, I'll see um, parallel events happen between mm-hmm. the three of them as we go. Do you consciously look for that? Do you... You, you played Magic for a long time, right? Right. They have, like, the cycles of cards in every color. This is some of my favorite cards, actually. Uh, like, the concept of cycles just really... In, in, I really enjoy the uh, concept of cycles. Like, I haven't, I haven't played a number of sets in, in recent years. Um, every so often, my brother comes back to town, and I, I dip back into Magic for a bit. But every time I, I, I see a cycle card, I start... I want to look at what the rest of the cycle looks like. Right. For for people who don't know cycle cards uh, in Magic the Gathering, there are five major colors. Each one represents a number of philosophical beliefs. And in the game, each one tends to have certain mechanics. Uh, the first cycle in the game was between... Um, I believe it's called... Uh, there's some name for it. Like they're, they're basically one mana cards. Mana is like the energy used to cast the cards. Uh, and they have some effect of three. So uh, the blue one was one blue mana draw three cards. The red one was one red mana, deal three damage to a creature or player. Uh, the black one was one black mana, get three black mana until end of turn. The green one was one green mana, give a creature plus three plus three. And the white one was one white mana, heal yourself for three or prevent three damage to a creature or player. Yeah. Interestingly enough, two of those turned out to be ridiculously overpowered um, and have, have never been reprinted. And one of them turned out to be somewhat overpowered and, and now they just kind of reprint a, a weaker version of it. But the cycle is, is really interesting because it gives that symmetry, right, of, of like, what are the different... What do, what do you do with the same theme when you have different philosophies or mechanics in place? In terms of the three characters, I have a kind of idea of, like... I, I guess I guess I would put it like a um, battle style, kind of. Like, I, I what I try to do is I just put... I, I've been trying to put them in similar combat situations and then showing how they make different decisions in combat, um, which is kind of hard to do because blue... Uh, fights much more than the other two do, so obviously he's going to get exposed to more combat yeah. situations. Uh, but because they're all three of them still trainers, regardless of what other things they do, I want to still show how they act as trainers differently. And I'm kind of modeling it off of a little bit, trying to model it off of uh, another Magic the Gathering um, philosophy thing, uh, the types of, of gamers. Spike, Timmy, and... Johnny, yeah. So Spike is the... Like hyper com- now. Now that you say that, the mm-hmm. Spike Timmy Johnny thing, I see that so clearly. Um, <laughs> so uh, S- Spike is the like ultra competitive one who mm-hmm. plays Magic because he wants to win. Timmy just wants to see like big things smashing around, basically. Mm-hmm. And then Johnny wants to do neat stuff, yeah. like stuff that's mechanically neat. And then there's like a different, there's a different psychographic distinction we don't need to get into, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, so um, Spike obviously is blue. He's in it to win it, uh, whatever it takes. Johnny is kind of the um, creative one. He wants to, wants to uh, pull off interesting wins. Like it doesn't matter if he loses ten times. If if uh, the eleventh game like gets him to pull off the, the perfect combo that like demonstrates the strategy that he um, like spent hours like perfecting. Yeah. And the Timmy is kind of kind of adapted here. It's the Timmy in, in, in Magic is more of a like just like you said, just like big creatures, right? Just like uh, big effects, I should say. 
like spending lots of mana on one big creature or one big spell or something like that. Yeah. And kind of like a I interpret that more of as like a love of the love of the cards. Like there's just yeah. individual cards that they really enjoy and like to like to play regardless of the outcomes. So yeah, I see that as, as Leaf basically just loving individual Pokemon and, and like she likes to use those Pokemon regardless of their combat potential or strategic importance necessarily. Like she can tends to favor Pokemon that have non lethal options, if she can, but she just like she she you know she uses the Pokemon she likes to use. Yeah, yeah, that that's that's interesting. I'm gonna have to watch out for that in the future. Mm-hmm. I guess the last thing I wanted to ask about or talk about are the interludes, which I don't know. I've never done, to my knowledge, I might be forgetting something, but I've never done an inter- interlude mm-hmm. in like a serial work. Do you? And uh, the first time I saw that was in Worm, mm-hmm. um, where it's. There's like an interlude at the end of every arc, and they're sort of they're sort of breathers, but they're also like a really good way to to cast people in different lights. You use them. Part of the interludes are for exposition on things that the um, main trio wouldn't know anything about. Uh, part of it is for um, setting up things for the future, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then part of it is um, just to get a outside world building perspective, right? Like with with Misty's uh, interlude, I I felt that especially right because it sort of takes you through not necessarily the day day to day of a gym leader, but you get a much better perspective on it than you do as seen through any of the main characters' eyes. I assume that the Giovanni Mewtwo stuff is going to not necessarily cap the adventure, but uh, come into play at some later date. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of left brewing in the background. So you get an interlude with Mewtwo and the advancements there and sort of the psychology there to give context to a big... I mean, it, this is what I'm assuming based on storytelling principles, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is that Mewtwo is going to encounter the group at some later point and we'll get one of those nice like double-sided conversations where two people are talking and one of them is lacking a lot of knowledge or something like that Mm -hmm. for the most part the interludes are always a treat okay good to know your interludes get used for a lot of what seem to me to be different purposes i mean obviously i don't know where the story's going to go necessarily but um when I was reading different interludes that you did, I would, I was thinking that their purpose was different, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and that it was sort of calculated to be different. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if you're going to use interludes for different things, how do you decide what you're going to use it for, right? Because some of the, some of the Mewtwo stuff seems like it wasn't giving context to anything that was going to happen in the next arc. Right. It was just sort of um, a separate fourth plot line that was going to get developed for payoff far in the future. Mm-hmm. Whereas the um, the Misty interlude was directly setting up for the next arc. Right. For 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 Leaf's whole, all, almost all of what Leaf did in the next arc was um, sort of used that interlude as its base. And I was wondering how you decide that, or you just write what's you think it'll be fun or what? Yeah, it's it's basically a case of um, 
I use the interludes, like you said, to either um, give another perspective on on the story uh, or world or characters in the world that wouldn't normally be gotten because the main characters just have no no way of, of experiencing it or um, finding out about it, or to advance a subplot that that's going to be important uh, later, or to set, set up. I guess to, I should say set up a later part of the plot is a better way to put that. Um, there, so those are basically the two different tracks that I go on when I'm when I'm doing an interlude. The first interlude was essentially a a mix between this kind of like it was basically my first attempt to pan the camera back and show a world at large outside of the three main characters to kind of like prime the readers to to expect that there's going to be more going on in the story than just these three's adventures. It's kind of it was kind of done through. Uh, you know, getting to know Laura, his mom, and and Professor Oak and Blue Sister. You know the worries that his mom has for him, as as any mother you'd like to think should when they send their child out into the world to capture and fight uh, fire-breathing monsters. But uh, you don't really get that impression from pretty much any Pokemon media. So I wanted to establish that, and I wanted to set up a subplot. I also used the new newscasts too established you know the world of pokemon is a dangerous place that we might see kind of hints towards later things in them one of them obviously being the note of the crime in fuchsia city going down and like questions about that which hints towards jasmine and koga later on and um there's the introduction of the of the stormbringers in the story so i wanted to use it for that too and of course also the the mention of professor oak being concerned about his friend dr fuji and that kind of was my handout again to the readers to be like, be aware that this is something that's going to come up in the story so that many, many months later, when Mewtwo's first chapter shows up, people are like, oh, right, Dr. Fuji, uh, one of the prime scientists on, on the Mewtwo uh, project. So it's it's one of those two tracks, right? It's either it's either story expansion or setting up future parts of the, of the plot so that they don't come out of nowhere. And sometimes I'm more on the market than others. Uh, the Jasmine, the second interlude with Jasmine uh, in Fuchsia City is probably the weirdest chapter in the story in terms of just not fitting as much as, as the other ones. A lot of people, you know, some people enjoy it a lot and, and say that it was one of their favorite chapters. I think, it, it, if anything, it's more of a short story that takes place in the Pokemon world, less connected to the rest of the plot. It will tie in eventually, but not nearly as much as the Mewtwo one, for example, obviously. And not nearly as much as the Brock and Misty ones did immediately with the plot around them, right? So yeah, I write interludes basically for one of those two purposes. And Brock and Misty ones are, are great ways to expand on the Pokemon world and other characters in the Pokemon world while also continuing the immediate story because they, they take place as the as the main characters are passing through or into their cities. Whereas the other interludes tend to be just set up for future parts of the plot. Yeah. Do you have any... Um, Criticism or uh, suggestions or things that you think could be worked on better? One thing that I... This is not actually story-related necessarily, but I think you start too many chapters with author's notes that are like, oh, this, this is like a little rough, and I'm going to edit it some more, mm-hmm. and there are things I'm going to work on. I think you should not do that. Okay. Mostly because I, I feel like if if you're a reader and you're coming in that like biases you against what you're about to read... Mm-hmm. I was thinking about this the other day because uh, you had this post on Facebook that was like, what could I like do differently? And I'm like, mm-hmm. I, it's that like 
and I didn't say anything. So it's like, well, maybe there's like an openness to criticism thing that I don't, that I philosophically disagree with. Uh-huh. But it's, it's like, it's like coming in. I don't know. Maybe I just wanted at the end. Yeah, that's that's totally something that I, I understand. I've, I've I think there's only one time I've ever put an author's note at the end, which was at the Leafs chapter with Giovanni in it, because um, obviously I didn't want to spoil that Giovanni would show up in the chapter. Right. But I've I've thought about putting author's notes at the end instead um, more often. It was just one because uh, there was a there was a part that I noticed on reread where Leaf is trying to get some feedback on an article mm-hmm. that she wrote. And she was she stops herself from leading with, "Hey, what's wrong with this?" Because mm-hmm. she didn't want to like bias the the <laughs> response. And I was like, "Well, I mean, at the very start of this chapter, it's like <laughs> it's like, hey, there's like problems with this." And right, I don't know right. that I I did notice a few times there were things that were added in, mm-hmm. like added in on edit at a later date. I'd be reading and I'd be I would come to a passage where I got exposition. Mm-hmm. For some future thing that, you know, some necessary bit of exposition, but still something that was noticeable. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to smooth that, though. And that's probably more one of those things where, I don't know, I I try not to second-guess authors, because uh, I second-guess myself mm-hmm. enough. But <laughs> it was one of those things where I would rather not have the exposition and just have it unfold. But I'm kind of not one of those people who needs to be convinced to keep reading, mm-hmm. right? Is there any examples of that one you can you can point to? I will have to... It's it's happened somewhere in the early chapters. Okay. But it was one of those things where I came to... I came to this passage, and I was like, okay, this is necessary exposition for, like... I think the one that stood out to me most was Red's talking about what he needs to, to do to become a researcher. Right, right. And then I came to an author's note at the beginning of a chapter, like, four or five chapters after that. And mm-hmm. it's like, this, this got altered so that like his path is more clear. And I'm like, yeah, I get that. But I, it felt like exposition yeah. to me. Yeah. That's definitely a fair criticism I've got. I still feel like I haven't gotten down the best course of action for, for communicating that. I feel like if the story had started with red in the lab more before they went off on their adventure, I might've been able to do it more elegantly, but yeah, but, but you don't want to like hold off right. on setting out on the adventure too right, much. Right. It might be one of those things where it's it's hard to do because you have to balance stuff that might bore some people with mm-hmm. trying to give information that's necessary, mm-hmm. which is always kind of hard to do. So, the, like, your story is probably second most popular on our rational right now, would you say? Um, that's my that's my gauge of it um, after uh, Mother of Learning, which is, like, ridiculously <laughs> popular. Um, um, Unsong might be giving it a wrong for its money. I don't, I don't know... Like I because I, I post so infrequently, you know, I kind of I, I guess I just feel like when a chapter goes up, everyone just upvotes it for the sake of like, look, another Pokemon chapter. I don't know, like in terms of reader count, I don't know actually how to how much the my story is compared to uh, Unsong. Yeah. Uh, Mother of Learning, I think, beats it out of the out of the water. Yeah, right. Where I was going with that is, mm-hmm. um, you get I'm sure a lot of comments and a lot of reviews and stuff. What is the criticism you see most often? I would say the number one criticism I get is Leaf's chapters being less compelling than the other two. Leaf's sections, I should say. She's only had one one full chapter. And like we mentioned in the last podcast, um, I think that might be part of it. 
Right. I've spent less time with her than the other two, so I think it's natural that she'll be less developed. But also part of it, I think, is just that I haven't found a good way personally yet to make her chapters more compelling. I've gotten, I think, better with it. Um, I think she starts a little strong and then just kind of there's this whole long section in Pewter where, she, Pewter where she's just writing uh, an article and, and investigating. I mean, not even investigating, just interviewing people. And there's not a lot of tension there. I didn't put a lot of tension in there. Uh, if I were to rewrite it, I probably would do a better job finding sources of tension there. The same way I did with, with Red a little bit, who is like, again, spending the entire visit in Pewter essentially uh, talking to people and writing his and looking for, for um, research grants. But there was still more of a sense of stakes and tension there while he was doing that. So that's that's probably the biggest criticism I get um, and something that I'm still hoping to continue to improve on. Okay. Second biggest, obviously, maybe probably biggest actually, but it's just the story is um, taking too long, <laughs> which is totally fair. It's, you know, not only is it publishing once a month, but it's it's the long, it's going to be a long story. Yeah. I know it's going to be at least 100 chapters. I would be surprised if it was less than 150. You, you know what's funny is that I I read a fair amount of short fiction and the biggest criticism I get is that it's not long enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean that's and I'm, just, yeah. I'm like it's the length that the story felt like it should be. <laughs> right, right. Uh, for for Metropolitan Man, there are people who are like who who recommend it as a short story. Uh-huh. Um and it's eighty thousand words. Yeah, yeah, I was just gonna say, and, like this is, and I'm this like, is a novel length. Yeah, it's it's novel length. It's like <laughs> If you picked up a random paperback, it would be about as long as Metropolitan Man. Right. But there, there's a big thirst for really long stories. Yeah, the internet tends to tends to allow for for much longer expectations and experiences for, for reading. I would say of your stories, the only, the only one of your stories that I felt that way about was was um, Shadows of the Limelight. Yeah. The rest of them, I feel like, were perfectly length. Yes, like Metropolitan Man, short novel. You know. Yeah. Branches of the Tree of Time was very compact and perfectly paced. I think I enjoyed that a lot. So yeah, it's, there definitely is there's more allowance for long stories on the internet. Yeah, which I guess sets expectations. Yeah, it's just it's it's funny to me that people would be like, hey, the story's <laughs> story's taking too long. <laughs> I don't know. That, I mean, that might be they might be talking in terms of pacing, which I don't. It is a mix. It is a mix. There there are some people who are just like, look, man. If you, you you can keep publishing these until I'm dead and I'll read, read them, which is gratifying because it allows me to know that like you know I'm not wasting everyone's time necessarily with a chapter about them going shopping <laughs> um, to explore the civil economics of the Pokemon world. But yeah, it, it's it's definitely a, a tension that I, I try to balance as best I can because I know that there's some people who who want it to be more want it to be better paced and others that are okay with it taking as long as it wants because I guess like me they grew up on stories that are okay with that kind of thing um yeah that's all that i have that i think that you can actually talk about okay cool thanks all right that's it for now thanks for listening and join us next time for a review of dark wizard of donkirk